Um, it's so nice to be here. It's so nice to talk to you. So as, um, as Jogo said, we're looking at 1 Timothy 6. And if you were here last week, um, Rory was looking at the few verses previous to the ones we're looking at today, looking at the love of money and how it's the love of money, not money itself, that leads to destruction. And just to give you a bit of context, so this letter is written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus, and he is looking after the church in Ephesus that Paul has founded. And Paul isn't sure when he's going to be able to get back to Ephesus to come and visit the church. And so he's handing the church to Timothy, and he's raising the issues that are coming up that he's seeing Ephesus struggling with in this letter. So false teaching, love of money, and he's trying to address these issues and, and get Timothy to make sure that um, the church keep their faith. And in this passage that we're going to look at, Paul's sort of summing up the crux of what he thinks is the most important message to Timothy and to the church. So let's read the passage. So on your sheet, you'll see the first few verses are actually from last week, but mainly just because I'm going to refer back to them. So I'm actually just going to read from verse 11, which is halfway down. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed ruler, the, and the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Um, so when Ed and I first got married, one of the things I first noticed that was so infuriating is he's one of those people that can eat for Britain, literally, and not put on a single pound. And that's a pretty tough thing to live with when you're someone that that is definitely not the case for. And so over these years, the only comfort that I have taken is regularly saying to Ed, just you wait. One day, this luxury will end. And that extra dollop of cream on your cereal will go to your hips. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. Anyway, joy. At Christmas, Ed realized that this luxury had finally ended. He said one day he'd caught himself, his sight of himself in the mirror, and realized that he no longer looked like he did. And he needed to do something about it. So he decided to go on his first ever diet, which was comical in itself. And I thought, well, let me help you there. I'm a seasoned dieter. I've had three kids. Let me show you how to do it. So enter healthy eating January. All I can say is my infuriation just grew. Ed is an incredibly disciplined person when he sets his mind to it. And as we went through the month, every time he got on these scales, the pounds were just falling off. And I'm not joking. He had weigh-ins like every day, and every day it was going down. I, on the other hand, would stand on the scales, nothing, exactly the same, except occasionally it would actually go up a pound. And one day, Ed said to me after another good weigh-in, he said, are you really impressed with my discipline? And I just looked at him and said, no, I'm not. I'm incredibly intimidated by it, and it makes me want to go in the opposite direction and eat cake. <laughs> now, it's a trivial example, but when you set your mind to something, when you really believe in a goal or in a cause, then you go for it. You put everything that you have into it. You make it your focus. 
you give it all of your energy. This passage is about faith, and it's about fighting for faith. It's about keeping faith. Paul says in verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. The cause that Paul is talking about in this passage is faith, is our relationship with Christ. And he is desperate that Timothy and the church in Ephesus do not lose their faith, that they don't give up this fight. He's desperate that they keep going. And he talks earlier in the letter about people who have already lost their faith. He says in verse 19 of chapter 1, hold on to faith, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith. He's seen people lose their faith. He talks later in chapter 4 about other people who will fall prey to false teaching and will lose their faith. And he's saying to Timothy, don't let this be you. Keep hold of your faith. I don't know where you're at today with your faith. Perhaps you're just visiting the church and you haven't thought about it or you've already dismissed faith, faith as an option. Perhaps you've got a strong faith, you have had a faith for a long time. Perhaps you're new to faith, perhaps you're thinking about faith. Perhaps you're finding yourself in a place where your faith is wavering or you feel like you are on the edge of shipwreck, a shipwreck to your faith. What Paul is saying in this passage is that faith doesn't happen by accident and faith doesn't stay by accident. It's something that we choose and it's something that we choose to nurture. And the language that Paul uses in this passage is one of a battle, one of almost being a soldier of Christ, being in the army. You've committed your allegiance to Christ. Now stay in that fight is what he's saying. Um, most of you, I think, will have watched the film Gladiator. Um, in the film Gladiator, there's a speech by Maximus um, I mentioned this to Ed, and he literally recited the whole speech off to me um, by heart. I had to look it up. But he's found himself in this arena. He used to be the general leading the Roman army, and now he's found himself as a slave. He's now a gladiator, and he's faced with his enemy, the new emperor. And in this challenge, he's asked who he is, and this is what he says. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Maximus is a soldier. He knows what he's about. He knows what he believes in. He knows who he is, and he knows where he's going. And in this passage, that's what Paul is. He is a soldier of Christ. He knows what he's about. He knows who he is. He knows what he believes in. He knows what he's fighting for. And he's writing to another soldier of Christ, Timothy. And he's saying, remember what you're fighting for. Don't give up this fight. And I want to look at this passage through these eyes of Paul being this soldier of Christ and how he has learned to fight the fight of faith and how we can then learn for him, from him to keep our faith, to stay committed to Christ, to not give up when it gets tough. So firstly, Paul is a passionate soldier. Paul is 100% certain that the fight of faith is the fight to be fighting. He's 100% committed to it. And what he does is he smashes down the other kind of three big main world beliefs of his time and says they aren't worth believing in. They are not causes worth fighting for. The first one we saw last week, which is the love of money. He says loving money, chasing after money, it's not a cause 
worth joining. It only leads to destruction. In verse 7, we looked at it last week, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So don't even think about joining that cause because it won't get you anywhere. The second and the third belief systems that he crushes are in this passage, and they're a bit more subtle probably to us. But if you had been listening to this letter, whether you were a Roman or a Greek, you would have picked up on what, Roman, what Paul is alluding to. So the first thing in this passage is he, he addresses the Romans. And now they, they followed their emperor. To them, the Roman emperor was divine. They saw him as the son of God. They worshipped him. And one of the things that they would look forward to would be when, um, when the emperor would make a grand appearance. So whenever he made an appearance to the crowds, the crowds would come, and the emperor would come out in all his splendor, in all his majesty, because they saw him as divine. Now what Paul says in verses 14 and 15 is this. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler. What a Roman would have heard when listening to this letter is Paul saying, your emperor isn't divine. Your emperor isn't somebody who you should be fighting for or who you should be worshipping. Wait until you see the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ because that appearance is when you'll see the real God, the only ruler the only one worth fighting for, the only one worth worshipping. He says, forget the emperor, follow Christ. The next thing he does is in verse 16, where he says, God alone is immortal. And what he's saying is, the Greeks believed that everyone had immortality, that physically you die, but you go on to a spiritual afterlife. Your soul continues He's saying, no, only God, only Christ has immortality. So you don't have that unless you're a soldier of Christ. You only have this promise of eternity, this promise of eternity with Christ, if you are a believer in Christ. So come and join this battle. Or stay in this battle. Don't give up. Paul says, don't swear your allegiances to battles that aren't worth fighting. And then he paints this picture of the good fight. Now, the word that he uses, good, means noble or beautiful. He's saying, come and fight this beautiful fight, this fight that leads to the glory of Christ and sharing in an eternity with, the, with Christ. It's not that you get this eternal existence that just feels petrifying. You get an eternity with this person, Jesus Christ. He says, that's the battle worth enduring. That's the battle worth fighting for. So he's a passionate soldier. He's also a disciplined soldier. Just like Ed, who decided he wanted to lose some weight, he knew that part of how to get there was through discipline. Now, Paul, he's had this glimpse of Christ. He's had this glimpse of what he has in Christ, and nothing is going to let him let go of that. And so he realizes that he needs discipline in his life to stay a soldier of Christ, to be a trained-up soldier of Christ. And so he says to pursue righteousness, this is verse 11, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He says these are the disciplines, the weapons, the qualities that you need to be a soldier of Christ and to keep fighting in this fight. He doesn't just say, because you're a Christian, you automatically have these qualities. 
And he doesn't say, oh, we'll just try and factor them in and around your life. He says these, to pursue these things in the context of fleeing from the love of money in verse 11. He says, flee from the love of money and instead pursue these attributes. Run after them. Make them your goal. Give them all the energy that you have. Why, why does Paul put so much emphasis on these qualities? Because we know that it's a gospel of grace. We come to salvation through grace. We have eternity with Christ through grace. But Paul also says, yes, but if you follow these attributes, if you chase after these qualities, what you're doing is you're chasing after Christ because it's within these qualities that Christ dwells, that Christ lives. So chase after these qualities and you're chasing after Christ. You will draw closer to Christ. So he says, learn to be righteous. Learn to live a morally justifiable life one that fits with Jesus' teachings, because that's where you'll meet with Christ. Learn to be godly. Learn to have a pure faith, to have a fear of the Lord, because that's where Christ is. Learn to have faith, a complete trust and confidence in Christ. Learn to love Christ and love others, because that's who Christ is. Learn to be gentle in your behavior, kind in your words, in your actions, because that's who Christ is. And learn to endure, because that's what Christ did, to keep going, to keep fighting. So chase after these qualities, just like Paul did. The third thing is Paul is a humble soldier. If you look at this passage, everything in it is about God. Nothing in it is about Paul. He loves God, and he wants to honor God. He's not a soldier who wants to make his name. He's not a soldier after honor. He's a soldier who wants to glorify God. He says he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's surrounded by an unapproachable light. He's completely in awe of who God is. And it's this humility that enables him to be a soldier of Christ. Because it's only when you put Christ first instead of yourself that you can then serve Christ. So those are the three things that Paul is as a soldier. He's passionate, he's disciplined, and he's humble. And the question is, what can we learn from this? Paul is writing to Timothy, who already has a faith. He's already a signed-up soldier of Christ. But he knows that actually everyone's faith takes a battering, that everybody needs encouragement, whether they're considering faith whether you're at the start of a faith, whether you've had a faith for a long time. Everybody needs encouragement. People dry up. People have challenges that, that test their faith. People get distracted with temptations. We all need this encouragement to keep going, to keep believing who Christ is and what he has given us. For me, there's probably been two times in my adult life when my faith, I feel like, has hit a bit of a wall. The first time was kind of in my early 20s when, sort of through external things, um, I found my faith being really challenged. I think I'd probably been in a bit of a rocky place, and then um, there was a girl who we worked with who I didn't know very well, um, but really tragically, she committed suicide, and it had a huge impact on my faith. I just couldn't get my head round how God had let that happen, and all my kind of theology went out of my head. And it took quite a long time 
before I felt like God had walked me through that and got me to a point where my faith was, was restored and renewed. The other time was a few years later when I, was, I had just got married and I'd gone into full-time ministry, and there was kind of the combination of I felt like my relationship had, had, had sort of changed a bit with God through being married and learning how that worked, and then being in full-time ministry. And weirdly, I feel like if you're in full-time ministry, you should probably have the most alive faith. But actually, the reality is often, because it's also your work, you, I found my faith um, took a bit of a battering and dried up a bit just because everything felt like it was giving, 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 and it was very hard to find room where I was actually receiving. And after our second child was born, I just hit this point of feeling totally exhausted in, in every way, and particularly within my faith. And I was sort of still going through the motions, so I wasn't having lots of time to read my Bible because of children, but I was still believing, I was still going to church, still praying with friends, everything from the outside would have looked exactly the same. But inside, I was just having this sort of sense of, I feel like I'm just part of a religion. I still believe it all, but I feel like this kind of connection with God or this relationship with God that it's meant to be all about, for some reason, isn't, isn't feeling like it's there. And then amazingly, we went on a week away, and it was the first week, Christian week, I'd gone on um, in years where I hadn't been leading or serving or working in some capacity. And it was just the most incredible week where finally it felt like um, the gates blew open and I kind of met with God again. And it wasn't that he'd abandoned me. I don't, I don't know why we have these seasons where things dry up. And I know God teaches us things through it. But with both times, there was an element of gritting my teeth, holding on almost physically to what I knew I believed, even though it felt like I wasn't connecting God, I wasn't hearing his voice, and I didn't feel like as a person I was growing in him. And yet, graciously, through gritting your teeth and through the grace of God, you come out the other side. If I was going to ask you to take one thing away from this morning and what this fight of faith looks like, it would be this. So I think if, I was, if you were able to ask Paul what the answers to these three questions would be, this is what I think he'd say. So first question, to whom do you swear allegiance? He would have said, Jesus Christ. What are your weapons of choice? He would have said, the qualities of Christ. And what is your motivation? He would have said, the love of Christ. It's when we have these answers to those questions that we're able to fight this beautiful fight, that we're able to keep going no matter what life throws at us. But I think often, even if in our heads, those are our answers, in our hearts, we're often off fighting a different battle without sometimes even realizing it. And there's kind of different types of battles we can be fighting. Some are intrinsically wrong, like Paul talks about in the passage beforehand, a love of money. So whom, to whom do you swear allegiance? Money. What are your weapons of choice? My career, self-promotion, ambition, ruthlessness. What's my motivation? The need to find contentment greed. We know those battles are intrinsically wrong. They're not of God. We don't find God in them. And we need to ask God to help us walk away from those battles. But then there are other types of battles that in themselves don't seem wrong, and yet actually they do ebb away at our faith. So I asked a friend what their answers would be, and they said this, so to whom do you swear allegiance? My job security what are your weapons of choice? Confidence, 
trying to persuade people the whole time that I'm the right person for the job. Long hours, making sacrifices in other areas of my lives. What's your motivation? A need to feel safe, a need to feel like I can provide for myself and my family. Now, in some ways, that battle doesn't seem like it's intrinsically wrong, but it will eat away at your faith because it's not faith-filled, because it comes out of fear, insecurity, worry, anxiety. It doesn't come out of faith, so it can't feed your faith. Another one might be a battle that you're fighting, and it is in the name of Christ. To whom do you swear allegiance? Jesus Christ. But your weapons of choice are your own strength. Your motivation is for Christ, but you've taken on a cause that you maybe have been called to, maybe your job you've been called to, or your family, or your friends, something that you feel called to. But without realizing it, even though you're doing it in Jesus' name, you've forgotten the faith part of it. And instead, you've switched it, and you're doing it in your own strength. And the, the challenge with these other battles is, is working out which ones we do away with and which ones we say, okay, the cause is good, but I need to bring it under the banner of Jesus. I need to say, Lord, show me which battles I don't need to fight and show me which battles are in your name but need to be reordered so that I do it in your strength, so that they are faith-filled, so that you give me the weapons that I need in order to fight these battles. If we want to be part of this beautiful fight, then we need to learn from Paul. We need to say, okay, I, do you know what? I actually don't know if I do swear allegiance to God because I feel like I've forgotten what I'm believing in. And if that's the case, we say, okay, Lord, give me back my passion. Remind me, give me a fresh revelation of who you are. Because Paul is only passionate because he's met with the person of Jesus Christ. That is where our conviction comes from. So if you've lost your conviction or you want to feel convicted, ask for this fresh revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he has in store for you. The second thing is develop discipline. Part of being a soldier of Christ, part of following Christ, is chasing after the qualities of Christ. It's realizing that we ourselves can be a part of nurturing our faith. We're not dummies who God just gives faith to. We're in it with him. It's a relationship. It's developing the disciplines that keep us in that relationship. And stay humble. Worship God. So often we put ourselves above God and we don't mean to a lot of the time. It's human nature. We go into survival mode or we allow pride or something to switch in. And actually just the very nature of standing up and worshipping Christ often reorders it and puts him back at the top. And when that happens, then the other stuff flows because you've got that ordering right. You stop putting yourself first. Um, many of you will have seen that um, Billy Graham, the very famous evangelist, died earlier this week. And you may have seen some of the words um, kind of banded about a bit that he, he, was, he said. And I just wanted to read them to you. He said this, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. 
I will have gone into the presence of God. To me, those are the words of a man who he understood where, who he was, where he was going, and what he was about. He loved Christ. He followed Christ faithfully, and he knew where he was going. And in that was so much freedom and so much joy. And to me, that is such a personal encouragement to, to keep going, to keep fighting this fight of faith, to do it well, to stay close to Christ, because I know that if I do that, then no matter what happens in this life, I have this eternity with Christ. So I'm going to finish there, but what I'd love us to do is just have kind of five minutes chance just to respond to that. Um, I've said a lot, and I know that we're all in different places with our faith, um, and so you'll have taken different things. So I thought perhaps what we could do is if we could have the worship band back, um, and we're just going to sing one song, and if you'd like to stand, as we sing that song, just, if you can, just let the Spirit speak to you about what he's wanting to say to you about faith, and about maybe where you're at with your faith. Um, and then we'll just have a, t a chance to, to pray. <clears throat>